How can the arts inspire us to lead lives of greater meaning and connection? What kind of world are we leaving for future generations? Julian Lennon is a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter, photographer, documentary filmmaker, and New York Times best-selling author of children's books. Executive producer of Common Ground and its predecessor film, Kiss the Ground, which reached over 1 billion people and inspired the U.S. Department of Agriculture to put $20 billion towards soil health. The natural world and indigenous people are also the focus of Lennon's other documentaries, Whale Dreamers and Women of the White Buffalo. In 2007, Julian founded the global environmental and humanitarian organization, the White Feather Foundation, whose key initiatives are education, health, conservation, and the protection of indigenous culture, causes he also advances through his photography. His latest album, Jude, spans a body of work created over the last 30 years. Julian was named a Peace Laureate by UNESCO in 2020. Julian Lennon, welcome to the Creative Process and One Planet podcast. Well, thank you very much, Mia. An absolute pleasure to be here. So congratulations on the documentary Common Ground, of which you were an executive producer. I just saw it, and it's an amazingly personal film, an informative film, series movement now, and with so many people involved being a voice for nature and speaking up for soil that, as you know, sustains life on Earth, which it just blows my mind when I think about it. It's kind of magic, like one teaspoon of fertile soil contains more living organisms than there are people on the planet. And 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 then some, yes. So it's magic. We have to harness this magic and it's possible. Tell us a little bit about the genesis and mission of the film and how you were drawn to the story. Well, I tell you where it first began, as again, as you mentioned before, that, you know, everything I do is tied into environmental or humanitarian causes in some way, shape or form, whether that's through music, children's books, documentary, uh, the list goes on. You know, I, I was introduced to Josh and Rebecca many years ago. I often spend a fair amount of time in Los Angeles working because that's, for me at least, the hub of the entertainment world. And so if you're going to do anything, it tends to, you, you tend to need to go through California in some way, shape or form. Um, Thankfully, Josh and Rebecca lived in Ojai, just up the road from LA, which I'm familiar with. And I have a dear friend, Darius, who's a great editor and has been part of the previous work that they've done. And I'm always curious about what's going on and who's doing what, where. And Darius, you know, had mentioned that he was working on a film called Kiss the Ground. And so... I drove up to Ojai to meet Josh and Rebecca and Darius, who was working on the film at the time too. And I was blown away by what they were up to. I had I'd seen clips and trailers of their earlier work, but not all of all of their work. So when I was watching the genesis of that film, I thought, "Wow, that's how are they going to bring this across in a way that?" Um, you know, isn't shoving things down people's throats. It's presenting information in a way that is creative, but also in a way that drives your curiosity into understanding, number one, why are we in the position that we're in? And number two, how can we fix this? What can we do to change all of this? And so, you know, I initially got involved as an exec producer on Kiss the Ground, and I was blown away how that film came out at the end, how well-rounded it was, the flow of the film, the storytelling, and really feeding me information that I didn't even know 
previously. And so, and also watching that become a platform around the world was jaw dropping. I mean, the fact that the belief and the understanding and the wisdom that came out of that project has touched so many minds and hearts and souls around the world that people are really single handedly almost making change for the better around the world. Now, when uh, Common Ground was presented, you know, I, I did love that concept because Kiss the Ground had been very much a broad approach and about America for the majority, really. And Common Ground was a much more, I mean, we're still dealing with the same subject matter, but obviously from, I think, uh, it felt great to come from a more personal aspect. Modern science shows the power of plants, soil and fungi, to help bring our planet into balance. Instead of trying to control nature, it's time we remember our roots. We all come from nature. Nature is the mother of us all. And if mama ain't happy, we're f The film is a love letter that my husband and I wrote to our children, and these are them. This is Athena and Jedi to Cal, and Common Ground is all about not only how we can save their future, but also make sure that the world is thriving and abundant, not only for these kids, but for all future generations. We got an incredible group of people here tonight from farmers from the Midwest to serious, massive movie stars. So big night for the film, big night for the movement. Big night for planet Earth. Heroes like Gabe reminded us that the soil can save us. Our Earth has everything to take care of itself. We just need to let it do its job. And regenerated is the way of the future, and hopefully it will be the only practice for future generations. We have to come together as a society and find common ground for common good. The fact of the matter is we're not working with nature. All agriculture today is mankind trying to impose his or her will on nature. Nature is always self-healing, self-organizing, self-regulating. We need to get back to that. So I just feel honored for any opportunity to learn from all of you and to feel hopeful. You've proven to us soil will save us. We know how to do it. You know how to do it. And I'm gonna learn from all of you. Common Ground tells the story of how we can stabilize the climate and prevent the sixth mass extinction all through how we manage the land and how we grow our food. There's two different types of soil here. One, one which represents the way the majority of agriculture in the world is done. This is the one that's closer to you. And the other which represents the way that regenerative farmers such as Gabe and Rick are working, which represents a tremendous amount of life and this could represent the two trajectories of our species. Who's gonna feed the world first? I produce way more calories of nutrient-dense food per acre than any of my neighbors. I know when people are braced with knowledge and information and it's delivered in a way that is moving and understandable and relational, um, that we can transform ourselves and the world around us in ways that we couldn't have imagined otherwise. I just wanna say thank you for being so dedicated to this space and continuing to grow and evolve and bring in even more people. And I think that's what it's ultimately gonna take. We have to all be included. We have to all feel invited and we all have to be empowered to do something because all hands on deck are required. 
So we heard there from just some of the people from the film and the movement, Jason Momoa, filmmakers Josh and Rebecca Tickell, Laura Dern, farmer Gabe Brown, Rosario Dawson. As you say, it's a very personal film, which is a letter to the next generation and a promise to them and to ourselves that we can do better. We must do better. And especially because, as the saying goes, you know, the children are our future. And, you know, we're leaving the planet to them which is absolutely the case. And so, you know, in my own little way, I try and do what I can in the mediums that I'm involved in. And to be part of, you know, a positive change through this medium, through film, through documentary, is, I think, really important. I think it's a really good way to get your point across, again, without shoving it down people's throats. And especially with this film in particular, tugging at people's hearts regarding family. I mean, really trying to get the point across that this really affects all of us in every way, shape or form. And that, you know, if we don't do anything, there's, it seems to me that since the beginning of time, almost, at least in the corporate world, there's always been walls put up for anything that's organic, positive, natural, and the, and the list goes on. And I think that filters down, you know, again, in many fields. So be part of something, a positive movement that continues to do such great work. You know, I just, you know, keep my fingers crossed. And obviously my job here as well is to, you know, support in any way, shape I can. And of course, I believe in everything that's being told. You know, it is the truth. These are the facts of our lives at the moment. And, you know, if we don't look after Mother Earth, Gaia, you know, she can't look after us. It's a shared experience. It's a balance between things, everything in life. You know, uh, we need each other. What I don't understand is why people don't get that and why they feel that they can just trash this planet the way that they do. You know, it was very, I was very saddened uh, to hear about Gabe becoming unwell, you know, through years of traditional farming and, and obviously using pesticides, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you, you just look at the logic of, you know, including pesticides into our food chain. It's got to come back to you that you cannot, it's inescapable. If we would cover the earth in a biodiverse array of plants and animals and insects, we wouldn't hear about climate change anymore. We wouldn't have this human health crisis. We would have food that is truly nutrient dense. Important for us to realize that the Dust Bowl was caused by copious amounts of tillage. Tillage caused that soil loss, that soil to be blown away, to be washed away. You know, the Dust Bowl occurred 90 years ago, but we have one occurring today. It's happening again, version 2.0. This is serious. We have to stop this. Regenerative agriculture is working within the context of nature to create a profit while enhancing the ecosystem for future generations. In response to the Dust Bowl, the very first farm bill was commissioned by a visionary president who understood the need to protect the nation's soil. We are going to have a farm policy that will serve the national welfare. 
We are going to conserve soil and conserve life. We haven't really had a president since Roosevelt that truly understood the importance of a sustainable food supply to the health of the nation. The office of the U.S. president has tremendous powers, including the power to veto any farm bill that does not transform the nation's food system and protect the health of the people. If you really were a visionary president and you really cared and you really tried to make the change, you wouldn't be popular, but it would be worth it. We are saving upwards of $400 an acre on input costs. It works out to be about $2 million a year in savings. That is serious cash. If the average grain farmer in the U.S who farms about 2,500 acres, switched to Rick's model, they would each save approximately $1 million a year. You know, one just gets too frustrated sometimes. And so I think instead of screaming about it, I think being able to be part of a project like this that tells the reality of the situation in a way that's sensible. And I think that's key to this. Uh, and again, it's just coming from a point of logic. And I think that's the best you can do, really. I, I really do. Okay, what is this thing called regenerative agriculture? We started studying regenerative systems, and we distilled it down to just a few questions. Did you till last year or not? Did you plant cover crops last year or not? Did you use herbicides or fungicides or insecticides? Did you integrate animals into cropland? And again, although this, this film, you know, predominantly deals with America, of course it relates to the rest of the world too. You know, I think we're fortunate in many respects to have the internet because that allows the world to see this film, and, or the, both of the films. You know, I have a feeling there's another one in the pipeline. And one would hope that, and I believe this is the case, I don't know for sure, but, you know, I think they might start looking at, you know, global, the global aspect of this and how it all relates to each other. And we know that the movement and the cycle of the sea and the climate, uh, it, you know, we everything affects everything else. So it's key that we all take part in trying to make this this place a better world from everybody. And, you know, when you see, again, the logic behind the fact that, you know, it is possible to feed the world. It really is. And it's possible to make so many positive changes just by, you know, I've always been an advocate for, uh, of course, trying to protect Indigenous peoples around the world. Because although their logic may seem simple, it... It works. It's real. It's respect not only for one another, it's respect for the earth that we live on. And that can be the only way forward, that this is all going to work out, you know. And again, I get frustrated at the fact that I don't see why so many people just don't understand this. It's key. 
Well, I think that's what the films and, and your other films before I should say, because you're a filmmaker, you've been for a number of years, especially on these indigenous stories and yeah. um, environmental issues. Yeah, it really makes sense. And I think that people have been hesitant is because they've been slightly influenced, of course, by the agrochemical lobby. And then that yeah. filters into the politics. And also because organic food is expensive, not everyone can afford that. But the regenerative agriculture, like it's really laid out. And even me and I've interviewed yeah. farmers and soil experts. Some people who are in the films, I think in Kiss the Ground, yes. you know, and Susan Simard and David Montgomery, all these soil experts. But still people think it's labor intensive. I think that's what the hesitation is behind it. But actually yeah. the film clearly shows side by side, here's a fertile field and that's done with regenerative agriculture. And, you know, this soil is rich, it's alive. And next to it is a dead field. And that's industrial farming, which is supposed to be more productive, but it's absolutely dead. And so yeah. I just can mention some of the positive statistics, which say that we not only have the potential, the possibility to do this, but actually we have no choice. So one, there's so many positives because I was, I know you know them, but for yes. carbon sequestration. So the soil, our, our crops, we need the carbon. We need it not in the atmosphere where it's this blanket heating up the planet, yes, you yes. know, burning up, but in the soil where it's rich and it feeds. So this whole cycle is broken, but it can be fixed through regenerative agriculture. And I, I couldn't believe this because you know you hear a lot of statistics, but if the whole planet adopted regenerative agriculture, as you show in the yes. film, we could sequester all the carbon that we're emitting. Okay, and that's beyond. Yeah, yeah, we're not. Okay, so maybe we don't get there 100%, but then also oceans can sequester carbon and we don't forget the forests if they're not burning yes. up. So we have all these nature-based solutions. Two, we have to, because even if we can feed the planet in this unsustainable industrial way, we don't have enough water. Okay, so regenerative agriculture uses much less water. It's, it yeah. stores the water, it doesn't run off. And the soil doesn't run off, the water doesn't run off. So, so And I, I just want to say, and I think that, you know, many people are aware, but you show the health benefits, you know, the sense of well-being, and you show community farms, and you, there's just no difference. There's a spiritual sense in this. Yes. And we just have to relearn what we've forgotten or been brainwashed. And, you know, we're just killing the thing that feeds us. And so we well, have to stop doing that. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, that's really it. You know, we're polluting the air that we breathe. We're polluting the seas and the waters. We're polluting the soils. We're polluting every aspect. It involves every aspect of our lives. So there's no getting away from it. That's absolutely sure. And yes, there is absolutely a way forward to make change. And yes, it is a question of relearning, I think, oh, so much. You know, without question, I mean, Part of the reason that, you know, not only I, did I start the White Feather Foundation with Indigenous tribes in mind back then, but the White Feather Foundation. And then, you know, one of the key way forwards for me was education, of course. I think that's been part of our problem worldwide. People just haven't known how serious or taken it seriously enough before. And there's so much propaganda that's and misinformation that's pushed out into the world that's that of course you, you know you recognize and you see even in the film as well how the truth gets pushed away and, and shoved aside by money and greed and corporations. And it's that's a really difficult one to get over. But you know, writing the children's books was a way to get in the same theme, again, not shoving it down their throats, but presenting the situation as is, you know, and getting children to say, 
you know, reading and asking and reminding their parents and relearning as well as, well, why is there plastic in the water? Why can't they, why don't they have any water over there? Why, you know, why? And there are answers for all of this and the parents need to pick up on that too. But this should be made, you know, these two films and many more should be mandatory, you know, I mean, you want to talk about Clockwork Orange. <laughs> I don't mean pinning their eyes back, you know, forcing them to watch the film. But certainly, this really should become part of the curriculum in many ways. I mean, again, this is, I hate to use the word logic all the time. But if you have, if you're not ignorant and you have an understanding about the world around you, then you know how you can help it. You know, you can know how to make changes and how to move forward. And this is exactly what these films do. So, you know, may Josh and Rebecca and everybody who supports them continue moving forward and making more films because, you know, until things change, which they are changing, I mean, thankfully, I think it's a real credit to Josh and Rebecca how many lives they've changed and how many uh, eyes and ears they've opened through the course of all of their film work. You know, they're going after all the questions that we have as a general public. And they're doing all the research and they're coming up with the answers for us. And I'm just thankful that, you know, I could be part of that journey in supporting that. But also, you know, I want to be helped moving forward, too. So, you know, I think it's a way for us. The films are a way, again, to create a platform so where we can all join hands and push these agendas, these health agendas forward. But not only for us, but for the land too. It's critical. It's absolutely critical. It's shocking we're even at the stage that we're at at the moment and that there's still interest in, well, deep sea mining for a start. That's another horrific situation that we're all very concerned about. So, Because if you start messing up that ecosystem as well, not that we haven't already, you know, I think we're in for a lot more trouble. It's not a laughing matter, of course, but... I mean, I just, again, I just don't understand why the greed continues, the money continues with no no self-respect for those involved in, in that world, I don't think, and just pure greed. Thankfully, I mean, as you saw in the film also, that, you know, finally, I think there was a grant awarded, what is it, from the government finally towards environmental health. Is it 20 yeah. billion? Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. yeah. yeah. When, is, when, when money talks and then people start listening. <laughs> because, you know, that before the film, that didn't exist before. It just, you know, so it's truly amazing what's been achieved. And again, I think, you know, anybody who's involved in this is just wants to push that agenda forward for the betterment of all life, you know. I want to mention, of course, you've been, we speak about your environmentalism, but you mentioned your children's books, which mm. have been all about the earth, touch the earth, heal the earth, love the earth, which could be yeah. seen as like an entryway into, say, you know, the more adult audience for this film. But of course, yeah. you've made films for adults. And just yeah. talking a little bit about the, you know, something is wrong about our global capitalistic system. And yeah. when you've spent so much time in your documentary work, in your photography, you know, visiting indigenous peoples, you know, 
when you're talking about education, it wasn't just colonialization that took over the lands, but the language yeah. was lost. And with that, the indigenous knowledge, the intergenerational knowledge. Yeah. Uh, I know that you made the film Women of the White Buffalo, which is about the Lakota people. We're going to have a Takashin ghost horse later on this month. And I always remember something he says, it's quite powerful when you think yes. about it. The Lakota language being a language of verbs and not nouns and ownerships. Yes. Dogma, he says, and domination has no relationship with the earth. It's taken us away from the language of the earth. We have to remember how to speak the language of the earth. Again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, this is why uh, at least, you know, protecting the indigenous around the world has been an important cause for me because of that history, because of their knowledge and you know, and the potential of losing it forever. You know, I know that around the world, that there are groups that are striving and doing the best that they can to maintain and hold on to those languages and doing as much research and capturing as much of that knowledge as possible. You know, fortunately, there are some incredible, dare I say, youngsters these days, who are learning, who have such respect for their elders and their history and their past, that they are learning the language and holding on to it as best as they can. As I said, I think the fact that it's all being recorded now and put down, just not that, you know, anything, hopefully nothing further bad happens. But I think it's key because it's, we've learned so much from the Indigenous. You know, we're part of that history it's just we've lost our way they they still know where they're going it's just the rest of us that have that have been misguided i would say in in the bigger scheme of things but you know the other thing was we for many i mean we didn't know any better i mean that's no excuse but you know we all rode on that bandwagon too of enjoying life to the extremes before we knew really what that meant, how that abused not only people, but the earth and the situation that we live in. And as you see in the film also, that, you know, I think we're only just seeing the tip of the surface really about quantity of illness that is coming from the past 50 years of you know, the way things have been done. I mean, the general public didn't know about so, so many of the bad things that were happening, the poisoning, the, you know, the chemicals in, in our food, in, in all of our products, and, you know, whether it's from deodorants to hairsprays to makeup, you know. It's really only in the past few years that there's been a, a, a decent, should I say, shift in that world and that you know finally some companies are taking responsibility for their actions and their positions and they're trying to change things too so little by little but it's working we shouldn't have to be chemists ah. at the time we go to the grocery store no i i mean i was fascinated i i won't mention the name but i found you know an app a couple of years ago a friend of mine turned me on you know where you could find out how good or bad most of the food that you ingest and or products hair products or whatever it was shocking to see that the products that you thought were healthy and that you thought were good were still so bad for you I mean, really, so much sugar in absolutely everything. And God knows what other chemicals and other products that, are, that have been, you know, seeping into our system, like deodorants with aluminium and a few other things. The list goes on that 
Yeah, at least we're beginning to wake up to it all. And you, you mentioned your White Feather Foundation mm. and, of course, your environmentalism, you know, going way back. You heard in your songs like Saltwater. And, yeah. But just tell me a little bit about the foundation. I believe its name has a deeply personal, significant meaning for you. Sure, I can go there for you. Well, I was, I, yeah, I was on, I had Saltwater was number one in Australia and top 10 around most of the world, except for America, where the label I was working with did diddly squat. So nobody really heard it. But I was number one in Australia. We're touring in Australia. And in Adelaide, I was called down by the hotel management saying, we have an indigenous tribe down here with a couple of camera crews, international camera crews, with a bunch of people, I don't know, 30 people maybe, and they want to talk to you. And I'm going, what about? Because, you know, I was just on the road and I thought that perhaps, you know, as people do on the road, they play gags on each other. You know, it's a common thing on the road. So I thought it was a joke that there was a group of Aboriginals downstairs. Anyway, the management calls up, I go down, and lo and behold, there there are there's a semicircle group of indigenous peoples called the Murning people. And it was on a small step-up platform, and I walked towards them, and the elder, Iris, who's a female, walked up to me with a male swan's white feather, uh, which is about yay big. And... She said to me, and I'm thinking, what is this? What's going on? And she says to me, can you help us? You have a voice. And what hit me was that um, many, many years ago, Dad had said to me when we were together that if something were to happen to him, that the way he would let me know that either he was going to be all right or that we were all going to be all right, would be in the form of a white feather. So when, you know, I'm given this white feather by one of the oldest Indigenous peoples on the planet, um, to me that was undeniable. I, I goosebumps, I just thought, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. You know, if that's really not a sign, I, I, I don't know what is. So I, I just said, okay, I'll do what I can. For the children. And so I spent on and off five, ten years making a documentary called Whale Dreamers about not only the Murning tribe, but it tied into another film project that the director and I were working on called The Gathering, which is where we brought together 80 elders from around the world, from all the indigenous, uh, as many as we could get in uh, from around the world, to meet together around a fireplace and to, you know, talk about their woes and the problems that they have had. And they were all the same. They were all the same, used and abused, murdered, you know, thrown off their land. The You know, the list goes on. So it was difficult making the documentary because it was a, the birth of the internet. And so the part of the team, the editor, was in Byron Bay in Australia, and I was here in Europe. So editing was took forever. But anyway, once the film was finished, we were lucky to get a small screening at, in Cannes, but we won about, not that this is important, but we won about eight independent film awards and I just thought okay well you know if the film makes some the money I really want the money to go back to 
you know, the tribes, the indigenous tribes. How do I do that? And the, literally the only way that you could do that back in the day was through a foundation. And so initially, the White Feather Foundation was just a vehicle to get the money, whatever money we made, back to the indigenous tribes. And then one thing led to another with the internet. We set up a website to try and sell the film through that, also get donations through that. One thing led to another, and I started getting you know, emails saying, well, can you help us with this project? And can you help us with this project? And I, you know, I said, listen, I'm not really a foundation. I'm just, this is just a vehicle to help, you know, the mining. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm in a position where I can continue this. Maybe I can do some further work and good. And so I just thought about the things that were most important to me. You know, again, looking after Indigenous people, cultures and their land was really important. Clean water, absolutely essential, obviously. Health and education was a massive one. All of that, a lot of that came out of the travels between South America with the Koji, going to Ethiopia, and seeing the different processes during, you know, actually with with a group, an organization called Charity Water with Scott Harrison, who, who took me out there to see the wells, the before, during and after the water wells had been brought to life. And in Kenya, uh, going to schools and health clinics and being there with kids and it was the, the UN Millennium Villages project that we were tied in with, working yeah. with. So we were, you know, that's where it all came from. You know, what touched me the most were those particular subjects. And so, you know, we're we're a small foundation and I don't want to be a big foundation. I don't, we tend to capture the the people and the causes that fall through the cracks. You know, it's all the the little projects that nobody seems to get around to. And we, we live on donations from the public. I mean, that's predominantly how we survive and how we help people around the world. I mean, all over the world. So it's been a blessing in disguise being able to be fortunate enough to to help people out around the world and work on the White Feather Foundation and be part of projects like this too, you know. So it's a meaningful life. It is indeed. And I'm enjoying also your recent album, Jude, and your music throughout your career. And I wonder, you you know, with all your travels, and we see that in your Mm. photography, I wonder if, you know, what your future collaborations in music might be, or whether it would be, you know, bringing in some more of these indigenous voices or other, you know, just this kind of sound experiences you get. I don't know. I'm just always curious about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a, a lot of that has been done. You know, I hate to say it. For me, it was overdone for quite some time, for a good decade. You know, I I don't honestly know entirely where I'm headed musically. I still have a lot of songs that I haven't finished that are relatively recent and some that go back to 40 years ago, if not more. You know, that projects like this last album, partially, that songs that never had a home you know, that didn't quite fit on an album or a, or another project. And so, uh, I mean, strangely enough, what I've been doing personally for the end of this year has been going, I've been going through trying to get all the admin out the way, so to speak. For instance, the last six months to a year, but intensely so in the last few weeks, I've been archiving the over 
100,000 photographs of mine so that I can put more collections together so I know where things are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I can get on with the creativity of photography next year and pro- hopefully get a- around to a few more charity trips. Same thing with the music, getting that under the wraps. On the admin side, I don't want to do work with another label again, I think. I prefer to be in a position where things organically happen, creatively speaking. So the idea is to have to be in a position next year where if I write, record, produce a song in a few days or a week, that within a week or two or a few weeks, I can press a button and release it out to the world. That's my plan for the future. Probably no albums, probably EPs and singles as they come. That's the idea for the future. And to just be as happy and present and as creative as possible next year. And, you know, help with the projects and people that need help. That's my goal for the future, really. That's how I, because if I'm, again, if I'm not in a position of focus and in a position of love, then, you know, I can't help anybody else. So that's my goal is to be in that, fully in that headspace next year. And so the form of common ground, it, mm. it began and ended with a letter for the future. Yeah. To children, the next generation. And I believe rumors that you may be working on a memoir. I don't know. So yeah. as you think about the future, maybe as you yeah. go over your life and your art, you know, what would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? Oh, I think one of the key things that I've certainly learned uh, is that you have to follow your instincts. You have to follow your gut. If it feels bad, walk away from it. You know, I think it's self-preservation. And again, I think, you know, it's the old adage that you can't help if you don't love yourself, you can't help, you can't love other people. And it's akin to that. It's, It's about, for me, it's about love and respect. And respecting differences too, you know, it's all about the fact that we are all different in every way, shape or form, but, you know, you can still love someone for being different, you know, that's, it's, we don't need to be the same to love each other, and nor do we have to have the same opinions, but certainly I think it's wise to work together for the common good of not only our earth, but our lives and the lives of all creatures on this fair planet of ours. It's a magical world that we live on. It's unique. Uh, Again, as far as we know, we're the only ones running around like mad people. And I think we should try and enjoy it as best as we can. And we should try and love as best as we can. And we should try and help each other as best as we can. Because in the end, we're all connected in every way, shape and form. And that is the be all and end all of it. We are one. We're all in this together. Well, thank you, Julian Lennon, for inviting us into your imaginative world and your films, music, and photography that teach us to appreciate people and harmonize with the natural world and show us we really have an opportunity to do something meaningful with our life. Indeed, we are a billion children rolled into one. We all live on one planet we call home. Thank you for adding your voice to One Planet Podcast and the creative process. Thank you, Mia. It's been my absolute pleasure. Hi, my name is Halia Rangold, and I'm a senior at Chapman University studying film production and peace studies. Listening to Julian speak, it was incredible to hear about the work Julian has done with his team and the importance of their film Common Ground. I agree wholeheartedly that we are the only ones who can save the planet from ourselves, 
and so much of that lays in the oceans and soil. I'm constantly bombarded with news stories about microplastics in our oceans and rivers, pesticides in our food supply, and chemicals streaming out of almost every product we use each day. I can't tell you how many times in the past year I've switched brands of shampoo or hairspray because I found out how harmful they truly were. When it comes to agriculture and changing the way we grow and produce crops to better support the earth and its growth, I was blown away with the information Julian spoke about in regards to how practices like tilling, which have been the norm for decades now, are actually the very thing that's causing harvests to die. Much of his conversation reminded me of practices I've learned in my peace studies courses that focus on giving trust and responsibility of land back to the indigenous people that cared for it for centuries before us. It made me think about how many native tribes in the US and Canada have finally begun to be heard when they speak out about how their practices of creating controlled fires and forests helped combat forest fires for generations. Now that forest fires have become more deadly than ever, it's extremely important to begin listening to these indigenous groups and trusting their knowledge and practices. Julian's conversation similarly reminded me of the negative effects of fortress conservation around the world, how many global organizations have turned to completely banning human beings from areas of land in order to heal them, when yet again, indigenous groups are saying that that's not the solution at all. Most importantly, I could not agree more with Julian's emphasis on how the films he's worked on and filmmaking in general are one of the greatest ways to combat these harmful trends in the environment. By creating easily shareable media about negative effects of common practices and then educating viewers on alternative practices, you combat the issue with simple logic and with something that people actually want to take the time to watch and listen to. Especially in educational situations, students always love it when their teachers show videos in class. So sharing these types of informative films with elementary schools, high schools, and universities could make all the difference in creating the next generation of forward thinkers who will save this planet. One Planet Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interviews producers on this episode were Sophie Garnier and Halia Reingold. One Planet Podcast is produced by Mia Funk. Additional production support by Katie Foster. Theme music is written and performed by Juan Sanchez. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast and be part of the climate change solution, just drop us a line at team at oneplanetpodcast.org. Thank you for listening.